This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a little something different on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We've got Cheryl Grant and Karen Finnan from Kitsilano Coalition talking about housing, talking about a specific project at 7th and Arbutus, and talking about is all housing good housing? Well... Is all housing good housing and does it all make sense? It comes down to, I think, really the tension here is between neighborhood, municipality, and province. Right. Right. Who's who's in the in the who's deciding and who has control? And I feel like what we're seeing across the province, and this is clear from you know the 10 municipalities on the naughty list uh, of the of the province, and when we went and saw the BC housing minister. The province is wrestling control over housing policy away from municipalities. Right. And I think this is, it's a microcosm of of that at work, right? Yeah. You know, the, David Eby and, and the provincial government just basically took an unprecedented action against the opposition to this housing project at 8th and Arbutus. And it's causing an uproar in kits. And we have some representatives on to to talk about why they're upset. This is a really compelling story. And it's one that I think people should be paying attention to whether you're for or against the project, because there's there's a lot of repercussions about what's happening right now. That's so. that's exactly it. And a, and a couple of thoughts on that I was thinking about after uh, Karen and Cheryl left. One is, and we talk about it, is using NIMBY as a pejorative, Right. And a blanket, you know, get uh, term indictment term, indictment. much like OK Boomer, right? right? It's like they're like, yeah, we get called NIMBY, and it's like this case case closed, yeah, case closed. You're a NIMBY, you know, get lost. That that's one thing where you know I think we we've been guilty of that on the show. We have we have had an overwhelming uh, number of people to talk uh, to come on and talk about the need for more supply almost at any cost, and I think we stand. Uh, with that position, generally speaking, that we, we have, we have t-shirts that say build more housing. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. That, there you go. We also have shirts that say, okay, boomer, but those, <laughs> those, those are coming out later. The NIMBY ones next, <laughs> later next year. But no, it made me think, you know, that we've thrown NIMBY around in this way and, and no term, you know, it's, it's, uh, debate is healthy. Right. And, uh, and no, uh, any, anything used to shut down debate is bad, obviously. So yeah, I, I think that was one thing. And, and the other, the other thing was that tension between all different levels of government and, and neighborhoods and how the city is. But also how it's more nuanced, right? Than just talking about like, when you say all housing, we, we need to just build blanket rezone. It's complicated. And I think today highlights how certain communities find it complicated, right? Right. And and uh, if anything, this conversation, 
I think raises a lot of questions about the future of the city and how we are changing neighborhoods. Right. And who's changing neighborhoods. Exactly. And what the repercussions are. Because really, uh, as, as a final thought, you know, if everybody in Kits gets together and says, man, we are really angry with David Eby, they're not going to have a lot of sway. Right. In, in, in the provincial elections. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing about representation and, uh, and housing and, uh, and a host of other issues, a number of other issues. So it's great to have them on the show. And as a final, final thought, we missed the five wire because uh, they had to run off to another interview, Cheryl and, uh, and Karen. We did the five wire this week with you. You're in the hot seat. It's very exciting. I can't wait to hear <laughs> what. What you've purchased recently I'm falling for fifteen hundred dollars? There's no uh, you have not spent fifteen hundred dollars on that anything is, in a long time. That so. is uh, that is actually true. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the price tag on, <laughs> on whatever you bring up. Uh, without further ado, Matt. Oh, actually, well, quickly though, just before we get to this conversation, because it is a great one. Couple housekeeping items. One is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Tons of good feedback. Yeah. Check out Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, where you can actually sort these different episodes depending on your interests. So you can sort them by politics, urban planning, development, investment, investment, whatever you want. It's all there. Tons of great feedback about the site. Um, We also have the sold plan, Matt. Record numbers of downloads Record on, numbers. on the sold plan. We just we are had, actually going to even revamp the sold. We're we're adding more to the sold plan because it's so popular. I know it's going to be basically what it's going to be a book soon. It's, yeah, it's going to be the sold book. A short, a short, a fairly a no- short book, hopefully, <laughs> a novella. Uh, it's it's going to be a it's it's going to be yeah beefed up though. But here's the here's the point. People really enjoying it. Checklist basically on how to get your home ready for market. So if you have a place that you're looking, if you're looking to sell your place in the near future, or if you just want a copy to get your place, uh, you know, maybe down the road you're selling and you want to reference back to it, but it is a step-by-step guide to sell your home for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. Sold stands for start on launch date. So you pick when you want to sell your home and you work your way backwards to get it ready. So it looks the best in its photos and videos and, and it's most marketable. So that's yeah, it. No, it, it's great. So uh, without further ado, Adam, maybe we should cut to our talk with Cheryl Grant and Karen Finnan from the Kitsilano Coalition. This one uh, may spark some fireworks, but uh, we, we like to keep it interesting around here. Food for thought, Matt. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. 
or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Karen Finnan and Cheryl Grant from Kitsilano Coalition. How are you doing? Terrific. Great to be with you, Adam and Matt. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for for taking the time to come down to the studio. Maybe can we start with Cheryl, you telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. Uh, I've been a lifelong resident of Vancouver, grew up here and uh, over the years been very involved um, in the local community as well as in business. So like I say, reaching 45 years here in Vancouver. Nice. And Karen? Uh, I've been in Vancouver about that long, uh, 30 years in the Kitsilano neighborhood. Nice. Good place to be for 30 years. Fantastic place to be. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Um, maybe uh, just for our listeners that don't know um, Kitsilano Coalition, can you can you kind of break it down for us? Like, what is Kitsilano Coalition? The coalition is a group of people that came together who have a common interest in uh, development in the neighborhood and uh, the direction that Kitsilano and the city more broadly is moving in terms of housing issues. So we have support amongst uh, businesses, individuals, tenants, homeowners, parents of school children that attend schools in the area. There's a number of schools and daycares in the area. So we have very broad-based support amongst people who are interested in uh, making sure that we have a livable community in Kits. And did the Kitsilano Coalition, like, has it existed for a very long time? Did it come together around a single issue or... Is it just a a broader, as you kind of indicated, but is it a broader coalition in regards to housing? I think uh, it originally came together just a few years ago, uh, 2001. We started to see a lot of changes um, into the neighborhood. So, you know, Vancouver. But it's been 20. 2021. Sorry, what did I say? Oh, I thought you said 2001. I was <laughs> no, like, oh sorry. my God, wait, you guys have been around 20 <laughs> plus years? Yeah, we're longstanding. <laughs> <laughs> 2021. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of changes coming to the neighborhood. Uh, there was the announcement of the Arbuta subway station, obviously the Broadway plan that's coming in to densify the area. And of course, one of the main areas and what we're here about is the support of housing. So it really became residents who wanted to understand more businesses, and there was a real lack of information in the community. And um, even myself, I learned about uh, the group through the business associations, and we just heard a lot of feedback from people looking to connect, and that's really where the Kitsilano Coalition came from, and really a similar end goal. We just want a healthy, vibrant community. Right, right. And and just to clarify, it's it's volunteer. 100%. Yeah. 100% volunteer. Okay. And maybe maybe now, and, and part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because we, we have talked a little bit about the proposed project at West 7th and Arbutus on our show kind of throughout, I guess, the past year. Uh, yeah, I feel like before, when we were talking a lot about the, the, the election. civic election, yeah, they, they came up a bunch. Yeah. But can you give us an overview of what's proposed at West 7th and Arbutus? Right. So the project is um, a new type of development for Vancouver. It will be um, modular construction with units that are built offshore, all single occupancy units that have uh, their own washrooms and their own kitchen facilities, but single occupancy only. So there will be 13 floors, but because of the modular style of construction, it will be effectively 18 stories in height. And the building will serve uh, up to 129 individuals um, drawn from the hardest to house 
portion of the population, the homeless population, are people that are at risk of homelessness. So we know that a large proportion of these individuals suffer from mental health challenges or substance abuse issues, and many suffer from both. So this particular building will have a common drug use room in the facility. Uh, There will be one meal a day provided. And other than that, we've not been told that any other supportive services will be on site other than persons who will come and refer people out to supportive services in other parts of the city, because frankly, we don't have the kind of support services um, that are needed in kits at the moment. And I'll just add to that to give some context to where this building is situated um, and kind of I think what brought people together to try and understand exactly what it was is that the the site is at Arbutus between West 7th and 8th. It's surrounded by the, the Greenway and across the street is a toddler's park um, as the other side of that is an elementary school and a daycare Uh, There's approximately 600 little ones, um, all under the age of grade seven, uh, within steps of the site. In addition to that, uh, it's low-rise residential right now and primarily renters. I think there's been a, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it's the west side. But it's actually the majority of the buildings there are the old story walk-ups. And so there's a lot of renters, um, some owners. But like I say, it is a, it's a very vibrant community, but it also has a lot of diversity within it. And that's why I say we also have the Legion. We have um, cooperative housing. So that's why I say it's a, it's a very family-oriented as well as senior-oriented area. And, and just we were saying before we went live, we had a, a listing uh, at a townhome right at 7th and Arbutus a couple months ago that I spent quite a bit of time at right across from the school and right across from the park. And like, it's a very vibrant, I mean, the SkyTrain's going in there, but it's a very vibrant, I mean, it helped that it was sunny out, but there's, it was like teeming with kids yeah. <laughs> and uh, and with people jogging. Like it's a really kind of family. I was kind of struck by how nice of a corner that is. It does seem like a strange place, honestly, for this project to go. What's the proposed logic of having single resident occupancy, a single resident occupancy tower in this location? Because it doesn't, frankly, make a lot of sense to me just from looking at like what's around it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to anybody that we've talked to, but um, it's something that David Eby in particular, seems to be driving at this site for reasons that are not clear to us, especially since up until recently his riding uh, borders right on Arbutus. So the project is not in his riding, it, uh, but the uh, St. Augustine School definitely is. The project is under a memorandum of understanding for development of a number, at least 330 or 300 uh, modular housing units. Uh, it's a building style that there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm for pioneering in Vancouver. So uh, the thought is, is that it can be built more quickly. But um, my understanding is, is that this is in fact going to be more expensive construction than if you use traditional construction methods. I saw some stats the other day that the average price for building an economy level uh, apartment in Vancouver is $110,000, whereas these units will be uh, just under $500,000 to build. It's an expensive door. And, and that, that's, of course, without a land purchase because the city is providing the land for free. Other developers typically have to buy the land. Right. And I think that, you know, that's one of the questions that's been outstanding through all of this is, 
why this site was selected. Um, the you know, especially considering the family nature. And I just want to say that no one's ever been opposed to social or supportive housing. Um, actually, how I got involved is I formerly sat on the board of directors for the Boys and Girls Clubs. And I was under the impression there was social housing coming in. I thought, oh, fantastic, because it says there's going to be amenity on the bottom floor. I thought, what a great opportunity. Perhaps we could look at partnering. I could provide, you know, opportunities to support them. And that's when I reached out to BC Housing to understand the building because I thought, oh, they must be putting in which is one of the areas that's actually underserved in our community is actually housing for women, single parent-led families. And so I thought this is this must be what they're meaning by the social housing project. And it wasn't until I actually contacted BC Housing, again, our community is wanting to support. And that was my intention and too. And that's when they told me that I misunderstood what amenity means. That's actually the consumption site, which I then asked for clarification. And they said, yes, this is for open drug use. And there's no children under the age of 18 allowed into this building because of the the open drug use. And again, think about how we were talking about this is right across from Toddler's Park. You're talking about the vibrancy of the community. This doesn't, this seems to be a mismatch. And is this the best model to support people coming into the community? What does it look like? And then that led to a bigger discussion around, as Karen's talking about, the modular style, the the size of this development pushing right up and over top of the sidewalks, it, it's very imposing on a pedestrian thoroughfare from the new subway station. And then that led into even discussions around a $64 million building. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you have to understand that's very strange on a Vancouver real estate. But, you know, this is a real estate show. One of the most underutilized sites in terms of tax base right now is Broadway and Arbutus, the Shell Station. And so we're now taking out a key piece of property. No one's paying for this property. It's being given by the city towards the project. The developer is waived of all con- community contributions. That should be over $2 million to develop infrastructure. And then in addition to that, the cost of these units is well over what a developer would be making. So it does lead to questions asking, why are we choosing the site why the mix, why the push from the government, and why modular housing? Again, this isn't uh, a customary in the Vancouver area. And what we've found is that this is actually going into neighborhoods around Vancouver. And that's been a lot of people saying the same thing. Why are these coming next to really neighborhood-focused communities for low-barrier housing? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is this isn't just Kitsilano. Based on what they want to do in terms of uh, spreading social housing, and they continue to say that this should be in every single neighborhood, you're looking at to hit their numbers over 50 of these buildings, basically, at approximately 60 people in 50 buildings. That's going to be approximately 50 blocks, 50 neighborhoods around Vancouver. So this isn't just Kitsilano. And that's where we go, well, why why all of these uh, decisions have been made and the pushback against community questions. I think it's worth addressing, right? Because we... So we've had a lot of people, especially before the last election, come on the show. And, you know, a, a lot of the guests we have are are really big on supply. And they'll point out, okay, everybody wants supply, just not this type of supply, not this type of building. We're all for social housing, just not this type of social housing. I think, and and I'm not, and I think wrongly, but I think there's been probably a a turn in the public perception of not in my backyard where it's like, okay, we just need more housing now. And everybody seems kind of moving in that direction as opposed to say 10 years ago. And I'm sure somebody out there is is conflating 
the Kits Coalition with kind of the old school or generic NIMBY movement. I know we talked about this before when we went live. Can you kind of talk about that and why you're different and why that is not the right way to think about these issues? Right. When we came involved in really looking at the project, we took the time to educate ourselves and we reached out to experts like Julian Summers, who was involved in a five-year government-funded research project about the best way to house homeless people and people suffering from addiction and mental illness. And his research is very clear that this is the wrong way to house people. So our message isn't that we shouldn't have social or supportive housing on the site. Our message is, is that the, the city and the province more broadly, and really Canada more broadly, needs to look at how we are building housing for the most vulnerable individuals in our society and try to move towards housing that will allow people to get on a path where they can overcome uh, issues of addiction, they can get the mental health they need, and they can reintegrate back into our community. Because ultimately, we don't want to just tuck people away in towers and leave them to their own problems. So Julian Summers' model, what he found through his research, is the most effective way to assist people is uh, what's called um, distributed housing. So you have, say, 5% of a number of buildings in the city where people are placed who have these type of problems and uh, social workers, et cetera, will come and assist them. And apparently what they found with the study is that this was the choice of the vast majority of people that participated in the study because you could look around yourself and see people living a regular life. And then you think, well, I can do this too. And I want to do this too, instead of being what, what is effectively warehoused mm-hmm. in a building with, in our case, 128 other individuals that are suffering similar problems as you. So uh, the example I always use is if you were uh, a smoker who wanted to quit smoking, would you want to move in a building with 128 other people who are smokers? Right. With like a, with like a designated area downstairs for smoking. That you have to walk by in <laughs> and, order to and, go get. And, and in a building where yeah. you couldn't allow kids under 18 because it was a full smoking building. That's it right. seems like not, uh, from a reintegration standpoint, it kind of seems uh, off the mark. And with all of the construction that's coming with the Broadway plan, now is the perfect time to start instituting dispersed housing with all of the new buildings that are, are going to come online. So absolutely, let's house people and let's do it expeditiously, but let's do it in the right way so that we don't disrupt existing neighborhoods. You have the support of the community and people aren't stigmatized in living in a tower that everybody knows that that's a supportive housing tower. You might as well put a bat signal on it that people with you know suffering from drug addiction and mental illness live here. Instead, let's have folks integrate into regular society, provide them the supports that they need. And this has to be a better way of helping people. Why do you think the government is is taking this approach? I have no idea. Um, I think perhaps because it will take um, a change of course, uh, more time, more energy to get onto a different path than to simply uh, get as many people off the street and into housing as soon as possible so you can step back and say, I solved the problem of homelessness in Vancouver. So unfortunately, you're, you're all, it's only one piece of the puzzle to give somebody a roof. 
you have to be able to give them the other tools they need to actually live a happy and successful life and a life that reintegrates them into society. Otherwise, uh, all you've done is is tuck them away. <clears throat> and it seems to me like like earlier we were kind of talking about David Eby almost having an axe to grind with this particular site. I think the optics of backing down in this situation would look would not look good for him, right? That would be my impression. When you look at the optics of it, when, you know, we have, it's a very unusual situation because the, one of the only location, this is the largest development is at Arbutus. You know, at the time, David Eby was the housing minister and he did use words like NIMBY to describe residents. You know, it's very harsh to listen to callers at the public hearing. And one of them was a young dad in his 30s and got teared up uh, about the fact that, you know, I'll always be a renter and this is where my children play and I don't know that I can live in this community that I've made my own. Those are the people that David Eby was talking to. Those are the people who live in the community and they say, you know, I want well for myself and I want well for others. And so it is very unusual to have a shifting goalpost throughout this process, 100% supportive housing. Then they're like, oh, well, it's 50% social and 50% supportive housing. But what that means is in the future, if someone goes above the shelter rate, then they have the ability to remain. And so we've, we continually hear this evolving um, shift. And David Eby went as far to say as, if this doesn't work out, like I'll shut down the building and clear it out if I have to, and I'll put my reputation on that. Why are we having that type of discussion? If you're getting to that point before the shovel's in the ground, <laughs> then there is obviously a problem here because I, you know, I would never hear a developer state, oh, you know, if, you know, I'm going to do this and if I have to shut it down, I will. This is public funds. This is right. taxpayer dollars. This site alone will cost taxpayers over $225 million over the lifetime of this building of 60 years you have to question what does that look like? And that's just the cost of building and operating the building. That doesn't include all of the people living within it. So that's why I say that these are big questions. And the fact that David Eby is trying to push down the voices of people when they're asking questions and having a mayor who's literally like, instead of saying, yes, you can send this back to city staff to engage with with the community, it's like, no, it's a yes or a no only. The funds are going to disappear. The city council was threatened with that at the referral meeting before it even went to the public. The city council themselves were very divided, saying, we're not sure this is the right project. City managers saying, you've got to say yes, otherwise we lose the money. And the mayor goes, it's like going to court. You give it its day in court, like vote it through to the public hearing. And then at the public hearing, they're literally shutting people down as they're asking questions. So it's been a very unusual process. And then, of course, being right through to the sits now on the went to the legislation, legislature's floor, um, a bill to pass that takes away the court rights of the citizens to, again, ask questions. So this is really unusual that a, someone of David Eby's stature uh, would be involved in it to this level to continue to push it through. Premier Horgan had a similar issue with a, the a museum and realized, you know what, we've made an error. We've heard you, we've made the error. Why is it that David Eby isn't stopping and saying, you know what, there is a lot of questions here. We know that BC Housing has had failings lately. We've had Ernst & Young reports telling us that we're not looking at outcomes. We need to really stop and reevaluate, hear why the community is saying this. How do we build housing better, especially if we do have to build this housing across Vancouver, but also all of BC. We're talking about Vancouver, but these problems are popping up on 
you know, every community around BC is having this Nanaimo and, you know, up in Prince George, Kelowna, we've had cities even suing the government. Like this, this means we have a fail point and we need to stop and come back together. And that's actually been the message of the Kits Coalition all along is let's stop and come back to the table and ask the right questions and build the right models based on what we're seeing, what we're hearing. And that's why I say that's, that is a, a huge outstanding question. Why is the government trying so hard to push through? Because they could have put temporary modular um, housing even on this site over the last two years right. to house people. You know, they could be building modular housing above the new St. Paul's Hospital. None of these options are being looked at. Why? That's the question. And and just to for for folks who haven't been following along quite as closely, can we talk about the the process? Because I know it was um well just explicitly what's happened in the last couple months, right? Because it was well, I'll let you explain kind of yeah, where where it went and then when David Eby got involved. So we first received notification as a community of the project, a mailer from the city in February of 2021. And then there was some uh, very ineffectual consultation processes that happened and were in COVID at that time. And so there was uh, four Zoom sessions with all of 39 members of the public permitted to attend. And uh, they were run by um, the BC Housing's PR firm. And half of the people on the call were from the government, uh, as opposed to citizens um, wanting to, to get more information. So from there... We had um, the referral hearing, and during the course of that year was when the Kitsilano Coalition formed to try to have a collective voice since individuals weren't being listened to. So we tried to put forward our views. As Cheryl said, then there was the referral report in May of 2022, and then the public hearing started in June. And as Cheryl has highlighted, there were a number of procedural difficulties with the public hearing. Uh, And then uh, in October... We filed a petition for judicial review of the public hearing on the basis that there was a great deal of of improper procedure at the public hearing, including not disclosing documents that the city was required to disclose to the public. So we started the judicial review, and before we could get a date for the judicial review, uh, the city wrote a letter to the provincial government in February saying, can you please step in and do something? so that we can get this building built. And David E.B. introduced the legislation, and the effect of the legislation, it's very brief, is that the Act says that this Act conclusively establishes that the uh, public hearing was properly held and that and the decision was, was, was valid. So the effect of that is that uh, that's really the court's role, to say whether or not elected officials statutory bodies who have decision-making power have conducted themselves in a way that's in accordance with the rule of law. So from being a a local battle over supportive housing building, we're now into a constitutional battle over what kind of democracy we want to live in and do we want to have um, a rule of law be what guides us here because it this has it's got implications that are much broader than than just this particular legislation which is targeted just at this site. Because if we start having municipal bodies making decisions and thinking that, well, maybe this wasn't the right decision, but I'll just write to the premier and ask him to pass some legislation that corrects any errors we made or any trampling upon the rule of law that we did, well, that has application to any number 
of municipal um, or other official decisions that are made across the province, not just with respect to this side or with supportive housing. So it's a broader issue now, and we find ourselves caught up in a in a constitutional challenge when all we were really trying to do is address safety concerns and find the best model of housing at 7th and Arbutus. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. And it's interesting too, him stepping in gives political cover in a way that nobody in the interior, they're not voting in the next provincial election based on this issue, right? And and Kits is not, Kits or even the city of Vancouver is not going to decide the provincial outcome. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to me is that Kitsilano Coalition has become this voice for people outside of just Kitsilano. We've actually been contacted by every other single site where this type of housing is going in. And actually, they've studied the hearing uh, because they're trying to understand what this is. Mario Michelli, who's the executive director of the Italian Cultural Center, went and spoke before the council as well for the site on Renfrew, stating that it was misrepresented to him. They'd asked to be involved in the process and they went to hearing without him even being told. And they, you know, again, they reached out for information. Other sites have reached out to us. We're getting letters from, you know, even within the supportive housing, which shows the level of desperation of people to say, please continue fighting because people living in this housing want better too. And that's why I say it's, it is very surprising to see the amount of communities who are reaching out because this is going back to what we're already hearing in Vancouver as a whole. So we look at the Yale Town OPS, the impact that that's having on the community. We're looking at safety in the streets. 
people don't feel safe. You can look at what's happening to Chinatown. You look at Marguerite Ford in Olympic Village. Marguerite Ford is actually purpose-built supportive housing that's existed for 10 years. And again, it's uh, it's not successful in terms of integrating within the community or providing the level of support it should for the people living in the building or meshing to to provide a cohesive community. We shouldn't ever be doing that in social and supportive housing. And, you know, one of the things that kind of shocked me and stopped me in my steps was with the supportive housing, with this model, one bedroom as well, when it was asked, why you keep referring it as single unit only? That means if you're a couple, you're not allowed to stay in that room. The city stated this, Chi Chan put it in his presentation. If you are a couple or you're a family, so you're a mother taking care of your disabled child, you can't stay in the same room. You can have your own rooms. Well, when you're already at shelter rate, you're continually keeping people in that pattern of poverty because now you're paying two rents. How many of us pay two rents or two mortgages? That's a perpetual cycle that this is also a failure of supportive and social housing. We have to stop and look at it. And that's why I say we're hearing from communities around BC. You're not alone. We're facing the same thing. And that's why it's really important to continue to get the message out there. You asked at the beginning, are we volunteer-based? 100%. And it's because people are passionate about our city, about our province, and having better lifestyles for everyone. And I think that's really important to hear. And that's why I say the fact that our leadership, in quotes, is pushing over top of the voice and that you have to go to a constitutional level, there is really something that does not make sense in what's going on. And uh, that's why I say that it's really important to continue to get people talking about this and not just saying, oh, that's that's nimbyism because it's not, there's a lot more going on because people are passionate about doing the right thing in, in Vancouver, as well as around BC and Canada for everyone in our society. So I really hope when people are listening to this, that they're hearing that. And we didn't expect as residents of Vancouver to now be taking on a constitutional battle for, <laughs> for the rights of a, a, you know, you have the right to access court if your government goes wrong. What David Eby, as a lawyer and former attorney general, has basically done with the new housing minister is to say, we're taking away your right to the courts if we do wrong. That is a way broader implication than anything around housing. And that's why we've had to move to the next level, because it has to protect all of our rights. And in one, like I'm just thinking about somebody out there listening right now. So the, there's an urgency to this situation, Right. Somebody out there has to be thinking, okay, but this is, you know, trying to hammer out what the exact proper approach, this could be another decade, this could be, you know, the city is kind of famous for consultation after consultation after consultation. You know, we talk to a lot of people in the development community, they're like, this is, it's, it's years and years of consultation, right? So I think somebody out there is probably thinking, but this is an urgent situation, like is the Kits Coalition thinking about different approaches? And I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but yeah, is there a different approach or is it just like, hey, look, you know what doesn't make sense? A tower in this spot constituted the way that they have it constituted. I would actually just add to that and then I'll let Karen speak is, you know, there's so many studies out there. Karen spoke to Dr. Summer's study. You can be integrating people into housing right now 
Um, and that's the thing is this need for we have to build this type of housing for people. Um, Dr. Summer's study was with SFU uh, and it literally got people into housing across the country and they've been very successful. They've been able to choose where they want to live. Not everyone in Vancouver is actually from this area. Actually, the majority of people who are living in the downtown east side or on the streets of Vancouver are actually from outside of Vancouver and they want to return to other areas. So again, when we build housing, like this model, it's taking away from that. And UBC uh, did another study where if you actually give um, people who are in homelessness $7,500, they had no idea what to expect. So these are our local universities, you know, studying this. How do we go about it? Move away from the fact of buildings and how do we get through draft legislation or the bylaws to make sure we get the building permits. They actually gave $7,500 to people who are in homelessness and they found the majority actually got themselves out of homelessness and they moved their lives forward. And actually many of them still had money in their pocket a year later because this for them was their opportunity to build their life the right way. Those who needed more support in terms of mental health or illness, they were able to be connected to services. So we are looking at trying to build towers when in fact what we should be doing is building services and also recognizing that over 80% of people who are in homelessness want to return to the workforce and over 25% of them actually have family, meaning their own children. That means they're very highly motivated to reintegrate with society. And so we should be building around that. I don't know if you want to add to that, Karen, but that's, I think it's very important that people understand too, that we shouldn't just be talking about them as a, a subset of the population. They are you and I. They're, they're, including my own family member, a lot of us are very passionate because we actually have gone through this ourselves. And I think of a family member and think, how would I want this person to live? How do I want a child, um, a 25% or more than that, of people on the downtown east side are actually come out of foster care. So they they aged out of foster care and found themselves on the street. How do we build housing for them so that they don't end up in that situation? So there's so many factors that need to be considered, and it's not just putting a shovel in the ground and building up a $64 million tower. And we don't have to wait to build new buildings to institute dispersed housing now. And the study that Dr. Summers did showed that they didn't have difficulty uh, working with nonprofit offers, finding um, uh, residential uh, rental buildings where uh, people could be placed to try this dispersed housing model. It can happen right now, and it could have been happening over the last two years while we're wrangling over whether we should build a modular tower on the site at 7th and Arbutus. Also, as Cheryl has said, um, if if we need more time to develop that right model or to find placement for people in existing rental housing, then I would say the solution is to have temporary modular housing. Mm -hmm. You build a, a modular building like what's contemplated at 7th and Arbutus, you're cementing uh, this city in a failed housing policy for the next 60 years. The life of that building will only ever be uh, single occupancy units. Uh, even now we have women particularly that have to choose between housing or having their child with them. So all of these projects that are being built, these modular projects, 300 and some plus units are all catering to singles and, and there just never will be an opportunity for a unification of family. And ultimately, that's the best supports of all, not the supports the government gives you, but the support that your family wants to provide you and that your motivation uh, to be with your children and do better for your children, not be separated. So we promised you we would get you out of here by 3.45. We have three <laughs> minutes left. Where where do you see this going and, and or maybe what's next and, and where do you see the outcome here? 
And, and and sorry, where's Ken Sim and the council, the kind of unified council? Uh, you've mentioned it a little bit, but I'm just curious to hear there where if they're cooperating with you, if you feel like they've kind of let you out, left you hanging out to dry, that type of thing. There was a visible eye roll when we said cooperating. <laughs> well, they we've been listening in on hearings and and at times participating in hearings for other buildings. And what we've seen happen since the ABC slate came in is now the whole council is voting unanimously Mm -hmm. in favor of rubber stamping these projects through. So at least before uh, we had some dissent and there would be members of council raising concerns, people like uh, Colleen Hardwick and and Sarah Kirby Young would raise concerns. and, And those two, in fact, voted against our project. We used to have some dissent and now it's it's very quickly being rubber stamped through. And it was the city that that wrote to the government to say, do something to force this through to get this site built. Whereas what the city could have done uh, with respect to our judicial review petition is they could simply have consented to the petition, which would have mean that the project could go back to city staff and be reworked, even to just to change some of the the tenanting that would have made all of the difference for us. Uh, there's a project in Victoria that's across from an elementary school, and obviously there was a lot of concern when that project was going in the Mount Edwards project, and uh, they applied certain criteria for the tenants, which allayed the safety concerns, and uh, as a result, that project is a success, and we're really quite confused why we weren't offered that kind of option, why no one wanted to talk to us about that. We're we're happy to get on board with social and supportive housing at that site, but we're just asking for some revisions to be made to address safety concerns that we have and to ensure the success of the future tenants of the project. And And what's next and predictions on outcome? I think that this whole thing has been unpredictable. Uh, You know, even um, this morning, like I said, it was filed for a constitutional challenge. Um, What the BC government had done, if you'd asked me a year ago, we were actually standing on the site uh, with the children and talking about the future hopes. So to see that where we are right now, I would have said it's one of the most unpredictable roads that uh, could have been drawn. We definitely continue to be optimistic that um, at some point someone will say, let's revisit why these decisions have been made. And that starts with the um, board of directors at BC Housing um, to say, why did this occur? It's a whole new board. David Eby fired the last board while all of this was going on, as well as the CEO, Shane Ramsey. All of them are now gone. And I think this is the time to say, let's look at these projects. Why did we come to the decision to make them? Um, is there the opportunity to sit with sit with communities and see if we can rework these? As Karen said, whether that's the building format, the size of it, the tenanting, and how we can get these then moving better for communities across BC, um, that we continue to find housing for for everyone, and that's that uh, I think is our number one goal is we want to make sure that we have vibrant, healthy communities and. That's where I'm optimistic too, and it really starts with the government having to stop and say we're voted elective, uh, voted officials of the communities. We need to sit down with them rather than continue to push this so far down the stretch. And I think if they'd actually brought us to the table 
you know, months ago as what was requested and all the other communities are asking for, we'd be in a much better place. And we're, we may be in litigation, but our door is open and David Eby knows where to find us. I've, <laughs> I've had calls with David Eby, so he knows where to and find Ken's me. Sim. Yeah. That's right. I, you say, know, I think yeah. Ken lives in Kits, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he actually did request meetings with the Kitsilano Coalition prior to him being an elected official. We'd also heard from other councillors who also recognized the issues at this site. So when they're saying it's this, the council who's requesting this, it, it also goes outside of, of uh, the conversations that were had with us pre-election. So it is, uh, it is surprising to see what's also now happening at the city level. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, but how can people learn more about what's going on and, and follow as this unfolds? We actually have a very informative website. We have a great deal of material published on there, and we also have a mailing list, and we send out information um, periodically. There's one that's gone out today to talk about the uh, constitutional challenge that was filed today. So our website is kitsilanocoalition.org, and we encourage you to please uh, go there, sign up, have your friends sign up, and uh, help support us, help support our efforts. Excellent. Well, uh, Karen Finnan and Cheryl Grant, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. So, Matt, there's actually a segment uh, here. It's a lighthearted segment, some lighthearted okay. questions to okay. uh, end the show. <laughs> I, uh, it's called The Five Wire. Can you stick around for that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, yeah, you haven't been prepped for this. Uh, this is going to be a tricky one for you. Uh, what is one book, on account of you not being able to read, one book you've read recently that you would recommend? <laughs> that I've listened to uh, recently. Sure. Uh, you know what? I, I I think I put this on our Instagram. Uh, I just finished. So I just finished the Whistler Half Marathon. No big deal. NBD. But, but What does uh, that have to do with books? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I just, yeah. also, I did 100 yeah. push-ups. Anyway, it's gone here. with the wind. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but no, uh, on the lead up, I, I read Discovering Ultra. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Rich so. Roll book. I listened to it. I'm not uh, sure I'm uh, much for ultra marathoning, but uh, a pretty inspiring book. The whole the whole storyline, the conceit of the, of the book is he had some uh, alcohol issues but he really, the turning point is where he's walking upstairs at night to go to bed after eating a Big Mac and Spoiler watching alert. TV. And he feels like he's about to have a heart attack and runs out of breath and, and decides to change his life. It's a very inspiring story and one that I think everybody should uh, should read. There's a couple things about Rich Roll. Like, I think he just felt uh, like we've all felt out of breath climbing stairs. Yeah. I think this is just like a guy who was like a super competitive swimmer. And uh, that's a, that's one some thing. things about it that I know he got on his podcast where I'm like, yeah, Rich. I he's don't like, know. oh, yeah, I know how it goes, man. I yeah. once had a beer. Yeah. I once had a hair fall out. I'm 60. Uh, one hair. Yeah. Perfect head of hair. Good, great head. Yeah. Great head of hair. Uh, it's a good book though. It's a, it's a good yarn. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, a, that's actually a good one. Rich Roll uh, is uh, also a great podcast. 
Second is, uh, in the last few years, what mm-hmm. new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, I, uh, no, you know what? I was thinking about this this morning. So I've started to go, uh, to the gym. No big deal. <laughs> In the morning, everything I preface with is, is how, 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 uh, positive I am about my newly found workout yeah. routine. But when I got home, I've started having shakes in the morning. Okay. And my wife, this is actually my wife, Kim, as as a, a avid gardener. And uh, I walked out this morning at say 7.30 to get kale and spinach for the shake. Right. Picked straight from the leaf. And... Uh, the, the leaf. Yeah. The, the garden. The, yeah, the, I, pick, went the the garden. I went into the garden. I went into the garden. Kale. Do... I'm picking and I thought, man, this is the best. There's nothing better. So what I'd say is uh, gardening, although I don't participate myself. Okay. I heard punching less burritos (laughs) into your face is what I heard. But uh, all right. Number three, what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie recommendation? I feel like you're going to think I'm going to say Succession, which is is an obvious choice and one that I would recommend. I just uh, randomly watched the Steve Jobs movie. Oh, not great, but actually not bad. And uh, there's a couple things about it. One is it's actually made me one. I've never read the that biography by Walter, whatever the the famous Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a very interesting guy. I didn't realize quite how eccentric he was. But the one line that stuck with me is uh, Wozniak. You know, they started yep. Apple together. There's a there's a great scene where they're fighting before one of Steve Jobs's famous. Uh, 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 what do you call turtleneck it? talks? You know, like oh, one yeah, of his the, turtleneck uh, talks. Yeah, the, and Wozniak the says, new, uh, "Apple product." Yeah, and and the the line that stuck with me was Wozniak says, "I'm not Ringo, I am not Ringo," and it's like this great. You're like, oh my god, this is amazing. In any relationship, business relationship, you know, it's like yeah. who's Ringo? Yeah, and uh, I don't know, it stuck with me. Anyway, Steve Jobs. Huh. Not not, not a great movie, but not a bad one either. <laughs> not a bad line that came out of it. Okay, number four is what is your favorite band or type of music? Uh, you know what? You're actually going to... I'm open. actually going to... No, you know, at the end of the year when it gives you the what have you listened to the most, it was, oh, yeah. it was Zach Bryan. Really? Yeah. That's I, uh, what you listened to the, the most? most? The most last year and it keeps coming back. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's yeah. uh that's that's interesting. I I just discovered Zach I know you texted me on the weekend. You're like, you gotta hear this guy. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I've texted you about this. I'm, a thousand, uh, ever, ever which makes me I... realize how, how closely you're reading the text. No, I'm I'm reading them all. Just thumbs up every time. Like <laughs> you know what? I, I knew it had been on the thread, but here's the thing. I ever since that country show that Corey uh took me to. Yeah, the real famous guy. Yeah, okay. I'm not listening to Col- new country, Colby, but I'm listening to. Colby something. Uh, I'm kind of going back through the. Uh, Daryl Simpson cited it as well. Everybody was yeah. at that concert. That was I don't know. Biz- that's that's crazy that I hadn't even heard of that guy. I can't I, even. I and I yeah. I'm not. I probably won't hear about him again. Uh, like he, he's not on my Spotify or anything. But I. But you know, maybe he'll roll through town again. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, something that you've purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that has changed your life. Or so, had a positive impact. So I, we've talked about this on the podcast, but it, it honestly has had a, a crazy impact on my life. And I don't know if it's a personality thing or not. The Streaks app. Oh, yeah. 699 
See, I knew it would be something under $10. That's, uh, I almost couldn't uh, bring myself to buy it, but it's not this most intuitive app I've ever used. Yeah. But it's there's something about the the clicking every day, you know, I did X of whatever I'm doing right. uh, and and living up to those streaks and, and charting how often you've done something in the last month that you want to do every day or whatever. Super, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's changed my habits at least for the last couple of months. So that's good. This reminds me of, uh, not to say we're cheap, but the Streaks app, I think, I think I, I'm think i using it now. I love it. It's, you know what I, how I describe it to people is it's, it's almost like the jail cell way of counting, like where you do the four lines kind of vertical and then the one horizontal right. to scratch through it. There's something really kind of therapeutic about like after you it's do something. It's a very simple just, app, right? It's a it's, simple app. They've also probably spent, like I'm guessing, tons of money or time making the most satisfying, uh, like when you put your button on. It almost when feels you push tactile. The like the totally. way, yeah, it feels like you're, you got to hold it. There's the sound. E everything. Yeah. And if you're actually, if you're wearing your AirPods, you hear the sound and it's yeah. like, it's a really, you're like, oh man, it makes you instantly, it's yeah. like endorphins or whatever. But, but here's a, this just made me think about, I was thinking maybe you were going to say uh, one of your suits or something, but we were at this photo shoot the other day. Right. And the member, they were, they were taking a photo of both of us in suits. Right. And this woman got a little bit too close to, to me with the, uh, with the, what are they, the reflective board or whatever right, that right, right. makes your face. And I yelled, Hey, this is a $100 suit <laughs> to which she didn't know I was joking. Like, Hey, watch the guy in the hundred dollar suit. She right? thought you were bragging. She thought I was bragging. <laughs> Remember, she went like really quiet and she kind of pulled back. <laughs> that kind of ruined the whole photo shoot for me. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that was your uh, your first five wire. You yeah. passed. All um, right. What else, uh, what else do we got? We got a couple things to talk about before we end for the show. That was great. First of all, that was a good conversation with Karen and uh, Cheryl. Cheryl. Yeah, I, I think um, I think one thing uh, is we should have actually tried to get the five wire done with them. Maybe I next, know. Maybe I know. next maybe time next if time. they come back. And then also, uh, it sounds like this is getting elevated. It's um, things are just heating up with this controversy. So. Yeah, and you know what? It's 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 funny because you it, it definitely people have opinions. That's for sure. That's, let's right. leave it at that. I feel like everybody. Um, everybody's got an opinion about this, but it's, uh, it's, I'm not going to say it's not challenging. Yeah. And, and, you know, the one thing is, Matt, if, if you are new to the VREP community and you haven't actually, you're, you're maybe, you're not super filled in on what's going around on or around supply and, um, adding supply and the, and the questions surrounding that we've done lots of episodes in our archive that you can sort through on our site, Vancouver real estate podcast. I like this segment. And, uh, Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about the site. Everyone's kind of loving the deep dive we're doing over yeah, there. Yeah. Well, it's the, the new site, Vancouver real estate podcast.com. Like Adam said, you can search according to subject so you can isolate. And this is of course, cause we have eight years worth of, of shows so over probably four or 500 hours of podcasts uh, at the site. Yeah, Adam, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. This is our new site where you can search based on what you're interested in. We have eight years, hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. So it's a very useful feature to go back and kind of cherry pick what you're interested in if you're if you're new, new to the show or want to revisit uh, any subject. We also have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer. We have stats before anyone else, different types of stats, deal of the month. VIP access to many projects, uh, many projects with some pretty exciting incentives right now. We also have, of course, tried and true, 
Private Client Services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using Private Client Services to search for real estate in Vancouver, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just click buy with us and you can set up your own free account. This is the way to monitor the market. You need the sold prices. It's very, very user-friendly. It's a great portal to search for real estate. And you can do that just by signing up for free on our site. Also, just as a as a final thought, couple of VREP t-shirts sighted out in the wild this weekend. Yeah, we've got a ton of shirts. <laughs> we, we've got we've a ton of shirts. We've talking about the shirts, but You're, it's crazy. Like literally, you know, it's it's... It's very exciting when you're walking around Olympic Village and you see a guy in a V-Rep t-shirt that you don't know. Well, here's so, yeah. It, and here's here's one more thing I will say about the V-Rep shirt. Who was it? Somebody just said to me the other day, these shirts are... Somebody oh, at your kid's uh, birthday yeah, party. Yeah, 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 Warren. Warren was like, you know what? He's like, I wouldn't... Tip. He's like, but these shirts are just so well made. He's right. like, I figured it would have been like... You know, uh, like the three dollars shirt, like something you'd get at like like uh, the Canucks game when they shoot shirts. I got yeah. one of those once, and I was like, "Oh my god, I got a Canucks shirt!" It's like a, a it might be a fifty cent t shirt. Yeah. Like you wear that quality. a lot though. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. and extra large. They're all extra large. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's tight. Uh, here's the thing: <laughs> if you are out there and you want a shirt, they fit a little snug. So we we've been oversizing them a bit, just going up a size. But man, the feet on these shirts and how they wear is reach incredible. out the best place to reach out is is instagram at vancouver real estate podcast yes. that's for sure yeah uh, follow us on instagram slide into the dms we'll mail we'll mail you out a shirt all we're really trying to do is get the v-rep community uh v-representing exactly and, and uh it's it's summer it's time for t-shirts so if you want to talk about that or anything else give me a shout at any time 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouver real estate podcast.com or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouver real estate podcast.com we also got that kokomo line info at vancouver real estate podcast.com we'll have a great week guys we've got cameron mcneil and ryan lalonde back from mla canada it's been over a week. year it's, it's been, been over, over a, year. a year these guys make some bold predictions about price per square foot for pre-sale, about where the market's going, about why the next 18 months could be... Uh, the biggest in the next five years. Hurricane-wise. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. This Huge. is... Uh, if you want somebody to stick their neck out, come back next week. Yeah, this is a great episode coming up. So uh, see you next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.